Hi everyone, I'm Cynthia Garrett and welcome to today's session. Now, I, I gotta tell you, we're gonna be talking about a subject that just at the top, you wanna get a pen and a piece of paper and you really wanna take notes because to me, this is one of the most critical conversations that we should be having a lot more that we don't often like to have because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, but it's the truth. And the truth always is a bit awkward and uncomfortable. Now, I'm really blessed to get to have this conversation with today's guest, R.T. Kendall, who is really a man that needs no introduction. You know that he's been the pastor of Westminster Chapel for, gosh, 25 plus years, and he's written over 60 books. He's got a couple more coming out even as we speak. But before we get into the conversation, I just want to preface this by explaining that my son, who's 24 years old, who walks in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, who is in love with Jesus and has really and truly turned his university upside down and, and a number of his friends' lives with the truth of the gospel, actually came to a surrender because he read a book about hell. And his understanding of judgment and hell is what really caused him to actually go, wait a minute, I need to actually ask some hard questions about whether or not God is real and judgment is real and Jesus was real and all of the above. So today, I think the best place to start is just if you would give us an understanding of judgment. Of judgment, mm -hmm. of judgment. Well, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the nature of God is essentially that he's a God of justice. And the reason Jesus died on the cross is that the blood that he shed must satisfy God's justice. Now, that's not talked about much nowadays, and I'm sorry about that. But this is the heart of the gospel. And if I could just go from there to John 3, 16, mm. which Martin Luther called the Bible in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Now, whatever does that mean? Not perish, but have everlasting life. And so you have in John 3, 16, heaven and hell, often forgotten. Uh, but we're talking about the most crucial thing that could be said about why God sent his son to come into the world, to die on a cross. Okay, so if God loves us so much, then why does he judge us? Or why will there be a judgment? Because he is true to himself. Mm -hmm. He is, by nature, this is the way he is. He is a God of justice. And uh, he doesn't try to impress us with being what we may want him to be. Uh, we must not expect him to adjust to us. We must adjust to him. And this is the way he is. Mm. And the God of the Bible is the God of justice. You know, it's a big problem, though, because I don't think people want to adjust themselves to God. I, I, you know, I, I often get told or asked, you know, well, why should we have to live by a book of rules? Well, a book of rules is not what we live by in order to get to heaven. Right. Uh, people get the cart before the horse. They think that we must do certain things to appease God's wrath. 
our, our works don't do it. They don't even come close. In fact, they can even hurt us. You say, well, how could they hurt? They hurt if you think they help. Right. If people lean on their works, uh, it's no good. So all we can do is come to God, or as Jesus put it in one of his parables, the publican who says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And you might like to know that the word merciful is the same uh, Greek word in the family of mercy seat. You see, in the Old Testament, inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. On the top was a slab of gold. And once a year, the high priest would enter into the most holy place, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And that is what appeased the wrath of God. But that was all a formula. It was foretelling the real event when Jesus himself would come and his blood be sprinkled on the mercy seat. So when we say, God be merciful to me, it's a way of saying, I'm pleading the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And that is our only hope of going to heaven. Only hope. Okay, that, okay, so it makes sense for someone watching to understand, I, I, I need Jesus. He's the, he is the, the blood, you know, that covers my sin. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So then there's got to be an incorrect understanding of what love really is in the world today. That's got to be it because I think most people assume that love is about giving you what you want. Yeah, well, that's not the God of the Bible. And I'm I, here to talk about the God of the Bible. Uh, perhaps you will know there was a German philosopher in the 19th century, Ludwig Feuerbach. He is the forerunner of Marxism. And he came up with this rationale for atheism. He says that God is nothing more than man's projection upon the backdrop of the universe. Mm. In other words, we want to believe in a God, a God who will look after us, take us to heaven when we die. And so it's not that God really exists. He exists in our minds. We project a God on the backdrop of the universe that's going to love us and take care of us. Mm. Now, given that rationale, let's assume that's a good way to look at it. Nobody would have ever projected the God of this book. They would never have thought of a God like this. Right. Uh, Feuerbach is imagining a God that is just nice, who looks after us, uh, will pay our bills and give us heaven. Uh, look, the God of the Bible, that's not Feuerbach's God at all. Nobody would ever have conceived of the God of this book. And it's my job to represent him. And I'm not trying to endear myself to people, make them like God. That's not my job. It's to convey what God is really like. What do you think is the biggest misconception about God in the world today? In the world today? Yeah. Well, the problem people have in the world today is that if there is a God, why does he allow evil? And uh, this is a separate question to what you may want to go in today. Uh, I've okay, actually we'll written a book called Totally Forgiving God. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was on your program before, we talked about total forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Then I wrote a sequel, Totally Forgiving Ourselves. And then a third, Totally Forgiving God. It's not that God is culpable of anything. Right. He's innocent, he's pure, he's just, he's perfect. But 
He does allow evil. And the ancient prophet Habakkuk wanted to know why does God allow evil and suffering? And we all want to know this. And uh, the bottom line is that God said to Habakkuk, I will tell you the answer on the last day. I mean, the end of the world when Jesus comes. Habakkuk might have said, uh, that's not good enough. I need to know now. Sorry, Habakkuk, not going to tell you now. You see, if God were to reveal to us why he allows evil, which he's going to do one day, he's going to clear his name, if I may put it that way. He will. And when he does, the most brilliant mind will say, I hadn't thought of that. It's kept from us, from knowing. And you know why it's kept? In order that we might have faith. Hmm. The just shall live by faith. God has decreed. We're to believe in him, not because we have scientific proof, but because we accept his word. And that takes faith. That's the only way we can come to him. And so Habakkuk, you know, he might have said, uh, look here, that's not good enough for me. I want to know now why you allow evil. Well, God wouldn't tell him. But for some reason, Habakkuk was okay because at the end of the book, he said, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pan and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And so Habakkuk said, it's okay. I don't know why God allows evil, but I believe in him. I love him. I worship him. I will not apologize for him. And Cynthia, that's my task to this very day. I don't apologize for the God of the Bible. I just proclaim him yeah. unashamedly. I, I, think it's, I think it's powerful what you say because I think, you know, I always say we live in such a PC culture. Like nobody really, no one wants to say anything that makes anyone else feel uncomfortable or awkward. And the reality is that Jesus Christ even set the table for us to understand that people were not going to like you in my name, you know? And so, I mean, so if we're not teaching people, if leaders aren't teaching people correctly about judgment, if, there, if people aren't being warned about a coming wrath, then are leaders in the church failing in what should be a most important task? Do you know where Enfield, Connecticut is? Have you ever heard of the little town of Enfield, Connecticut? No. Small town uh, just south of the Massachusetts, Connecticut border. Okay. My wife Louise and I have visited there four times in recent years. Whenever I come within a hundred miles of Enfield, though it may, may take me two hours one way to get there, I go there. There's a vacant lot in Enfield, Connecticut, right across the street from the Montessori School. You look at that lot, if you were a distance away, you would, know, would not know of the significance. But you go up to it, and there is a plaque, and there's a little shrubbery around it. Somebody's kept it up. It says, on this site, July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. Mm. It was at the height of the Great Awakening. Here's the story. He took his text from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 31. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their feet will slide. That was his text. Hmm. He started preaching. He read his sermon. He was not an orator. He wasn't walking back and forth or shouting. He read it. And as he began to read, people began to groan and moan. And he actually cautioned them. He says, please be quiet so I can finish my sermon. The bottom line of the sermon, this is a theme, and you can Google it today. You can Google it. Hmm. It is by the very mercy of God, you are not in hell right now. And you are hanging over the pit of hell by a slender thread and the death, death angels waiting to sever that thread at any moment. Hmm. Now, people read that sermon today. They laugh. They smirk and smile. Listen, no one was laughing then. The Spirit of God came on the crowd, and when he finished, people were holding on to church pews to keep from sliding into hell. Men were sitting outside with their hands around tree trunks to keep from sliding into hell. Word of that sermon went all over New England in days. It spread to England in weeks. It has never been forgotten. It was the high watermark of the Great Awakening, which gave America its soul. And the reason there's a Bible Belt in America goes back to that moment. The preaching of eternal punishment. God only did it once. The funny thing is, a lot of people don't know this, Edwards preached the same sermon a few weeks later in Northampton, Massachusetts. No effect at all. No effect at all. It only happened once just to give people a taste of what is coming. And so the reason that Louise and I drive to Enfield, we've been there four times, I go and stand and wow. by that plaque. I try to envisage what it was like. It was the, the old meeting house is not there anymore, and, and the trees, they're gone, but it's just a vacant lot. And I just go there to pray. Sometimes I stay just a few minutes and go back wherever I'm going. Just, I say, Lord, do it again. Mm. Do it again. Yeah. Because this generation has no idea of the coming wrath. That's why John the Baptist said, who has warned you? And it was an assumption. And then when Jesus began to teach, he didn't invent this idea. It was an assumption. It was already the case. Listen to these words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. He put it like this. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is Jesus. Right. You know, people say they love Jesus. They admire his teachings. They don't like that. No. 
you know, there are people who say, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. Convenient. I, I say, who gave you the right to believe in heaven? Where did you get that? Wow. The Bible speaks of heaven, speaks about hell. Cynthia, the Bible has more to say about hell than it does about heaven. But we're all quick to say, I believe in heaven. And we go back to Feuerbach, man's projection. They want a heaven. God of the Bible. No one would have come up with a God like that. And this is why he's called terrible. Flee, run. Because right. they're going to be doing that one day. Well, I, I love the scripture that says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Exactly. And, and I don't, I, I think that there's this thing in the world today that is like, we don't want to fear God. You know, we want to love God. And people need to know and experience his love. And yeah, that's true. They do. His love is amazing. But in a certain sense, I guess my question is, have we just lost a reverence for God? And have we lost wisdom yeah. because we don't fear God? Look, there's no fear of God in the church. There's no fear of God in the land. People thumb their nose at the church. We just take it. Mary, Queen of Scots, said she feared the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men. Who's afraid of us? It's because we've, we apologize. We don't talk about these things. Uh, and you turn on the TV in many places, it's all about nice God. Uh, he will take care of you. He will, you'll be driving a BMW or a Rolls Royce in the next 30 days if you send in your money. That kind of thing. Yeah. And, and God in heaven doesn't like it. Yeah. He is unhappy. They have merchandised the anointing. And uh, somebody needs to, to talk like this. I, I didn't know that when I agreed to come on your show that you were going to be bold enough to bring up a subject like this. Uh, you know, I have to fight the Elijah complex. Because Elijah, he said, I alone am left. <laughs> Which was not true. He was not the only one. Right. But sometimes right. I feel like no one else is talking like this. Yeah. I'm not the only one. I know I'm not. But yeah. it is so rare. I'm sorry it's so rare. Yeah. And, uh, but this, this is the thing. I'll tell you another thing. Do you realize how often the Greek word phobos, from which we get the word fear, phobia, right. the, the Greek is phobos, is used in the book of Acts. It's in, in the Gospels. When Jesus would speak, great fear would come on the people. Right. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, it says, fear came upon every soul. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. They were struck dead on the spot. Great fear came upon the church. And some would say, well, that's going to run everybody away. No, they grew all the more. They grew all the more. Right. And what, if anything, could bring about an explosion in the church is a restoration of the fear of God. I've got a friend, Bobby Connor. Do you know that name? No. Oh, I he's don't. a prophetic man. Okay. He's been saying lately, the fear of God is coming back to the church. Wow. And I hope so. And if I could have anything to do with hastening that moment, I'm, I'll be 82 years old in July. I don't know how many years I've got. But when somebody like you invites me to speak like this, I'm going to take it with both hands because this is the message of the New Testament totally forgotten. Can I say one more thing? Of course you can. Well, 
why do you think a people, uh, people should be Christians? Do you, do you believe, Cynthia, that everybody should hear the gospel? Yes, I do. Do you believe your loved ones should be saved? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Why? Because I don't want them to die and go to hell. Good. Well, that's the right answer. <laughs> now, I'd like to think... No, because what else? Well, look, really, there's no other answer. Well, RT, if, if we're going to just live forever and it's all okay, okay. then why be, a, why be a Christian? Why okay. not just go do what you want to do? Okay. You take Paul, <laughs> Paul in Romans. Romans. Okay. He says in verse 16, chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He might have said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the kingdom. Hmm. Now, that's the, the new language today. Mm -hmm. People are talking about the kingdom. Mm -hmm. That's not what Paul said. He might have said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of healing. Paul believed in healing, mm. but that's not what he said. He might have said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of signs and wonders. Paul believed in signs and wonders, but that's not what he said. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And then he tells us why people need the gospel. And he says in verse 18, because the wrath of God is revealed. That's the reason. Right there at the beginning of Romans. You know, so much is said today about judging others. We shouldn't judge others. We shouldn't judge. And, and, and I think that's where the PC thing comes from. You don't ever want to be seen as judgmental. And you don't in the wrong way, of course, right? But... But God will judge us. He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge the sinner. So I guess the next question would sort of be, why did he create a hell in the first place? Why do we have hell? You tell me. Except that we get one hint of it in Matthew 25, mm -hmm. that hell was created for the devil and his angels. That's the nearest you come. Mm -hmm. Now... But the devil and the angels won't be the only beings that go there. Because, in fact, you just, you know, I just quoted from Matthew 25. I brought my Bible, but I don't have everything ready. Matthew 25, uh, that's where we're told that heaven was created for the devil and his angels. And then we're told that there will be those that join him. Right. Namely, those that reject the gospel. And it's all summarized in verse 46 of Matthew 25, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So there are two destinies for all people, men, women, whatever, race, color, political party, all people that ever lived. One of two destinies at the end of every life, heaven or hell. Mm. Heaven or hell. Uh, I was invited to meet Yasser Arafat uh, some years ago. And I had actually been praying for him for a long time. I never thought I'd meet him. It just worked out. Uh, Canon Andrew White, yeah. former Archbishop of Canterbury's envoy to the Middle East, invited me to go meet Yasser Arafat. Well, I, I thought, I'll never see him again. And so I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. And so within a couple of minutes thinking that we're only going to be there 10 or 15 minutes. I said, Ra'is, which is the Arabic word for president. The most important question that needs to be put to you is where will you be 100 years from now? 
you, where will you be? The question that you won't care whether you got uh, Jerusalem, Palestinians get Jerusalem, or the Israelis get Jerusalem. The question that will matter is where will you be 100 years from now? I thought he would throw me out. You know, I visited him five times and we became friends. And I presented the gospel to him. I prayed for him. But the question is, where will you be? And I would ask anybody that's watching now, uh, there. Uh, do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? I just have to tell you, the most important question that anybody can put to you. What would you say to God if he did say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Mm. And there's only one answer. Give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. Don't go there. You don't need to go there. What would you say? Would you say, well, I've tried to be a good person? Would you say, I was baptized? Would you say, I joined a church? Would you say, I was brought up in a Christian home? These things don't help at all. I'm sorry. I've got one hope, one hope, and that is Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. So if he were to say to me, why should I let you in? I've got one hope, the blood of Jesus. He died for me. That's my hope. And that is your hope. And if you don't have that hope, I wonder, is it all right if I yeah, pray take with us them? home. Look here, wherever you are, wherever you are at this moment, pray this prayer. Just, just say these words. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've been watching another session. I'm Cynthia Garrett with R.T. Kendall. Heaven or hell? Question is simple. We'll see you next week. I really hope you enjoyed this week's session and I can't wait to be back with you next week. So I just wanted to pop in really fast and remind you to pick up a copy of Prodigal Daughter, A Journey Home to Identity. It's my first book and it goes through my life and all of the things that God taught me through applying the word of God to challenges and situations and all kinds of experiences. At the end of the day, it's about finding my identity. And at the end of the day, it's from my heart that all of you would find your identity in Christ. And this book, I really believe, will help you find your identity and own your identity and walk powerfully in your identity because it's time for you to take a victory lap with Jesus as the guide. So I will see you soon. You can pick it up everywhere, online booksellers and retailers, and I hope you'll be blessed.